the um, House and the Senate will both come back Monday and stay in session through Thursday. The House came back to work on Wednesday, February 26. They passed three bills under suspension of the rules, including H.R. 35, the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act, which will, for the first time, make lynching a federal crime. That bill passed by 410 to 4. On Thursday, February 27th, the House took up the rule governing consideration of H.R. 2239, the Reversing Youth Tobacco Epidemic Act of 2019. On Friday, February 28th, the House took up and passed a bill under suspension of the rules and then took up and passed H.R. 2239, the Reversing the, the reversing the Youth Tobacco Epidemic Act of 2019. The House came back on Monday, March 2nd, and immediately took, took up and passed two bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, March 3rd, the House took up and passed two more bills under suspension of the rules. On Wednesday, March 4th, the House took up the rule governing consideration of H.R. 1140, the Rights for Transportation Security Officers Act. They also took up and passed two other bills under the suspension of the rules, including H.R. 6074, the Coronavirus Preparedness and Response Supplemental Appropriations Act of 2020. That bill spends $8.3 billion on federal efforts to contain and deal with the coronavirus, and it passed by a vote of 415 to 2. On Thursday, March 4th, the House considered amendments to H.R. 1140, the Rights for Transportation Security Officers Act. The House took up the underlying bill and it passed by a vote of 230 to 171, and then they were done. This week on the House floor, the House will return on Monday with the first vote set for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to take up six bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, and for the balance of the week, the House will consider another four bills under suspension of the rules. In addition, the House may consider H, I'm sorry, may consider SJ Res 68 to direct the removal of the United States Armed Forces from hostilities against Islamic, the Islamic Republic of Iran that has, that have not been authorized by Congress. And the House may consider legislation related to FISA reauthorization, which we'll talk about more in a moment. Last, last week, I'm sorry, the last two weeks on the Senate floor. The Senate came back to work on Monday, February 24th. First up was a cloture vote on the nomination of Robert Anthony Malloy to be judge for the District Court of the Virgin Islands. Tuesday the 25th was a very busy day on the Senate floor. First was a vote to confirm Anthony Robert Malloy to be judge for the District Court of Virgin Islands. He was confirmed. Then came a cloture vote on the nomination of Sylvia Carreno Cole to be the U.S. District Judge for the District of Puerto Rico, followed by a motion to invoke cloture on the nomination of Catherine McGregor to be Deputy Secretary of the Interior. Then came cloture, cloture motions on two abortion bills. First up was S-3275, the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act, which would ban abortion after 20 weeks. That cloture motion failed by a vote of 53 to 44. Second up was a motion to invoke cloture on S-311, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. That motion failed by a vote of 56 to 41. Then it was back to nominations. 
In short order, the Senate voted to confirm Sylvia Canero Cole to be the U.S. District Judge for the District of Puerto Rico and Catherine McGregor to be the Secretary, the Deputy Secretary of the Interior. And then, it, then the finish, I'm sorry, and then the Senate finished the day by voting to invoke cloture on the nomination of Travis Graves to be the judge for the U.S. Tax Court, to be a judge for the U.S. Tax Court. On Thursday, February 27th, the Senate voted to confirm Thomas Graves to be the, to be a judge for the U.S. Tax Court. The Senate came back to work on Monday, March 1st, and moved to invoke cloture on the motion to proceed to S-2657. If you're looking that up, you'll find it listed as the Advanced Geothermal Innovation Leadership Act of 2019, and it has nothing at all to do with what they were actually debating on the Senate floor because what they are actually debating is the American Energy Innovation Act of 2020, a massive energy bill that's made up of dozens of smaller energy-related bills that pass the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee under the leadership of Chairman Lisa Murkowski, Republican of Alaska. The cloture motion on the motion to proceed passed by a vote of 84 to 3, and the Senate began considering the new energy bill. Two days later, after the 30 hours of post-cloture debate had expired, the Senate voted on the motion to proceed to S-2657, the legislative vehicle for the energy bill. That motion, that motion to proceed passed by a vote of 90 to 4. On Thursday, the Senate took up H.R. 6074, the Corona Emergency Supplemental Spending Bill. After tabling a Rand Paul amendment seeking to rescind unobligated balances from certain international programs to offset the amounts appropriated in the bill, because apparently under no circumstances will the Congress of the United States actually pay for new emergency spending by rescinding previously appropriated funds that have not yet been spent. The Senate voted to pass the Corona Emergency Supplemental Spending Bill by a vote of 96 to 1, and then they were done for the week. This week on the Senate floor, the Senate will come back into session on Monday afternoon. At 5.30 p.m., the Senate will proceed to a roll call vote on cloture of the Murkowski substitute number 1407. It's modified and S-2657, the legislative vehicle for the energy bill. Now on to the issues, border security and immigration. On Wednesday, February 26th, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that the Trump administration can withhold millions of dollars in law enforcement grants to make states cooperate with federal immigration law enforcement officials. The decision conflicts with decisions by three other federal appeals courts in Chicago, Philadelphia, and San Francisco, virtually guaranteeing that the cases will all end up in, in, this, in the Supreme Court. On Friday, February 28th, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals suspended its own order, which had been issued earlier the same day, blocking the Trump administration from enforcing its Remain in Mexico policy, also called the Migrant Protection Protocols. A three-judge panel of the circuit court had voted 2-1 to suspend the policy. The Trump administration, not surprisingly, will appeal the ruling. On Thursday, March 5th, Customs and Border Protection Acting Commissioner Mark Morgan announced that over the past five months, 14,000 more people were removed or returned back across the southwest border 
then crossed into the United States. Illegal immigration has been receding for the last eight months. The baseline numbers themselves are truly remarkable. That is, if we just compare apprehensions in, 20, in January 2019 to apprehensions in January 2020, we see a fall from 47,979 in January of, 19, of 2019 to just 29,206 this past January. That's a 39% reduction. If we compare apprehensions in February of 2019 to apprehensions in February of this year, we see a fall from 66,883 in February 2019 to just 30,068 in February 2020. That's a 56% reduction. Remarkable. And that's thanks to the Remain in Mexico policy, which disincentivizes illegal immigrants from trying to cross the border illegally or present themselves at a point of entry with a false asylum claim. Energy, the energy bill. Now, please note, please pay special attention to this section because we're going to put a poll up about this, this bill at the end of the Washington report. Let's spend a moment talking about S-2657, the American Energy Innovation Act of 2020. It was introduced by Chairman Murkowski and Democrat Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, the ranking member of the committee. The bill includes parts of more than 50 bills that were passed out of committee last year. Many conservatives do not like this bill at all. For instance, a recent Heritage Foundation paper says it includes regulatory energy efficiency mandates, subsidies for specific energy technologies, such as fossil, renewable, and energy, I mean, in nuclear, increased government intervention in energy markets masked as federal research and development, expanded loan guarantees, public-private partnerships where taxpayer resources don't belong, and taxpayer-funded job training programs. Not surprisingly, Heritage Action for America is key voting against the bill. The Competitive Enterprise Institute opposes the bill, and FreedomWorks is threatening a key, to key vote against two amendments they expect to be added to the bill. So we'd like to know your thoughts on the bill. Based on the opposition from Heritage Action for America, the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and FreedomWorks, should we add our own voice in opposition? Obamacare. On Monday, March 2nd, the Supreme Court announced it would consider a Republican legal challenge to Obamacare later this year. The court had turned down a Democrat request to fast-track consideration of the lawsuit to allow for a ruling by, a, by June. The case, Texas versus United States, or in the Supreme Court, California versus Texas, will determine whether or not the individual mandate is constitutional, and if not, whether or not the mandate can be struck and the rest of the law remain intact, or must the entire law be considered unconstitutional. In 2012, a five-judge majority of the court ruled in NFIB versus Sebelius that the individual mandate was a constitutional exercise of Congress's taxing power. But in 2017, Congress passed and the president signed the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, which reduced the tax penalty portion of the individual mandate to zero. That led the state of Texas under Attorney General Ken Paxton to file a lawsuit challenging the Affordable Care Act. 
if an individual mandate was only a legitimate exercise of Congress power to tax because it provided revenue to the Treasury, the state reasoned, then why would it continue to be considered a constitutional exercise of Congress power to tax if the tax had been reduced to zero, producing zero revenue to the Treasury? A trial court agreed with Texas and ruled that the individual mandate was unconstitutional. In December 2019, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit confirmed the trial court ruling. But instead of deciding whether that meant not to, that meant whether or not that meant the rest of the law must be struck down, the circuit court sent the case back to the trial court and asked for additional analysis. Meanwhile, parties supporting the law, led by the state of California, asked the Supreme Court to accept the case for review and asked the court to expedite the review with a view to issuing a ruling by the end of the court's current term in June of this year. The court has declined to accept the, accept the case for fast-track review and instead will hear the case later this year after the court reconvenes in October. That means it's very unlikely the court would issue a ruling before the November election. Personnel. On Friday evening, President Trump announced that North Carolina Congressman, North Carolina Republican Congressman Mark Meadows, one of the founding members of the House Freedom Caucus, and a congressman who has already announced he will not run for re-election, would become his fourth White House Chief of Staff, replacing White House Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney himself a former Republican congressman and one of the founders of the House Freedom Caucus. Mulvaney will become the special envoy for Northern Ireland. Mulvaney had gotten himself into the president's doghouse when he answered questions from the White House press room podium and put his foot in his mouth regarding the hold, the hold up of U.S. military aid to Ukraine. Meadows, on the other hand, has been in the president's wheelhouse since the very beginning. The two of them, it is widely reported, speak on the phone several times a day. The president respects Meadows and has been relying on his counsel for some time now, so this move should not, not surprise anyone. For those who don't recall, Meadows is a re the Republican member of Congress who filed paperwork in the summer of 2015 that eventually led to the resignation of John Boehner as Speaker of the House of Representatives. Surveillance reauthorization. Three sections of the Patriot Act that allow for surveillance of American citizens expire on March 15, and Congress has yet to pass legislation either extending the authorization or reforming the programs in question. This is going to be a focus of congressional activity over the next week because the intelligence community views these surveillance programs as too valuable to allow simply to expire. So the intelligence community, in this case, led by Attorney General William Barr, has made clear its desire for a so-called clean reauthorization. That is, the intelligence community, the IC, wants three provisions reauthorized without any changes. Civil libertarians on the left and conservatives on the right disagree and want to either eliminate or at least reform, or at least reform these programs. Senator Rand Paul, perhaps the most vocal of the conservatives demanding reform of the government surveillance powers, insists that the president, who is still railing about the FISA warrants improperly issued against his former campaign volunteer Carter Page, has said he will not sign a clean author reauthorization. My best guess is that both House and Senate will move this week to pass a 30-day extension of the authorizing legislation just to buy some time 
for them to work out some kind of deal. 2020 Democrats, and then there were two. The last time we talked, two weeks ago, Joe Biden's political career was on the line. He had finished way back in the pack in Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada, and was now down to one final chance. He had to win the South Carolina primary, the fourth and final of the early state contests that led up to Super Tuesday to remain viable. But he won South Carolina, and he won it convincingly, so convincingly that former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg and Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar both announced their withdrawals from the race and their endorsements of Biden before Super Tuesday voters went to the polls. Biden went on to roll through Super Tuesday, winning 10 of the 14 states and racking up the lion's share of the delegates awarded that day. Democrats and the media predictably went nuts. By weekend, week's end, former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg and Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren had withdrawn from the race. While Hawaii Democrat Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard remains in the race officially, everyone, is paying, everyone paying attention now knows this is a two-man race. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders against former Vice President Joe Biden. Biden has a delegate lead, and that's what counts. Under the rules of the Democrat nominating process, where there is no winner-take-all, and delegates are awarded on a proportional representation basis, it's very difficult to catch up once you're behind. Even if Sanders were to win the next several contests outright, the odds are very good that Biden would continue to win delegates even as he's losing. Clearly, the establishment of the Democrat Party wants to nominate Biden rather than Sanders. That's because even as liberals, even as liberal as they might be, they're not crazy, and they believe having Sanders as their nominee would, I'm sorry, I'm going to just say that sentence again. That's because even as liberals, as liberal as they might be, they're not crazy, and they believe having Sanders as a nominee would fall, in the fall, would lead to a guaranteed loss with a potential for enormous losses in down-ballot races. And that's the Washington Report for tonight.